Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care. And with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. It's Today Explained. I'm Sean Ramos from Belarus is situated right between Europe and Russia, and its politics are pretty much positioned that way, too. Back in August of 2020, we published an episode titled The Dictator versus The Homemaker. The dictator was Alexander Lukashenko, who'd been running Belarus since the mid-90s. The homemaker was Svatlana Tekanovskaya, who ran against Lukashenko last August in place of her husband, who had been imprisoned. Belarusians believed Lukashenko had stolen the election from Tikhanovskaya. Protests had erupted all over the country. There was hope this might have been the beginning of the end for Lukashenko. And we spoke to a Belarusian journalist about it, Franak Vyachorka. At the time, he had just fled Belarus because he feared for his safety for reporting the truth. Uh, me, my friends, and my team, we all work for giving people true information. Fast forward nine months, Fernak has now left journalism and is working for none other than Svatlana Tekanovskaya. And when we found out, we were like, Fernak, you left journalism to work for a politician? How could you? Uh, it's a good question. I just think that we never had politics before in Belarus. And for the first time in my life, for my 32 years of my life, I 33, I realized that um, politics appeared. Uh, this is not the politics that uh, President Lukashenko gave us with his ugly police officers, KGB, uh, Soviet uh, symbols and anthems and rituals. But this is the real cool democracy. We'll hear more from Frenak about the future of Belarus in the second half of the show. But first, the present. Lukashenko is still in power. And it is still a terrifying time to speak truth to his power. Exhibit A, the plane he hijacked over the weekend. So the story begins in Athens, where this dissident Belarusian journalist, Roman Protasevich, was on kind of a working holiday with his girlfriend. Amy McKinnon is a reporter at Foreign Policy. So, you know, these protests kicked off in, in Belarus in the fall of last year. And Roman was one of the co-founders who ran this Telegram channel on the encrypted messaging app Telegram, which was essentially coordinating these protests of 100,000 people in a dictatorship, which were met with really, really brutal, violent crackdowns. So extremely intense and rough year. Roman was living in exile in Lithuania, and he was in need of a vacation. Who wouldn't be? 
So he spent a couple of weeks in Athens with his girlfriend. And on Sunday morning, they were boarding a flight to fly back to Vilnius, the capital of Lithuania. And he sent messages to some of his colleagues in a, in a group chat they have and said, you know, there's these weird guys that are kind of following me. He's trying to take pictures of my passport. They're speaking to me in Russian. Um, and just kind of like something was up. He got on the flight nonetheless. And it's not clear the nuts and bolts of exactly what happened next. But as the flight entered Belarusian airspace, someone called in a bomb threat. And Belarusian air traffic controllers told the flight that it had to land in the Belarusian capital, Minsk. Tonight, it's being called a state-sponsored hijacking. This commercial Ryanair flight from Greece to Lithuania forced to land while flying over Belarus. A steep bank turn towards Minsk within minutes of Vilnius, Lithuania. Belarusian authorities at the order of the president scrambled a fighter jet to accompany this civilian airliner, Ryanair plane full of holidaymakers and business people down to, to Minsk for an emergency landing because of this supposed bomb. Once that was announced on the plane, we've heard from folks who were on the plane with him that Roman started speaking to the, uh, the stewards on the plane and was saying, I'm a refugee, we cannot go there, they will kill me. So the Romans stand up, really open the, uh, let's say, luggage uh, door, take the luggage, and was trying to split the things, like computer, give it to a girlfriend, iPhone or whatever it's called, phone, take to a girlfriend. I think he He's been accused of terrorism by the Belarusian authorities, and that carries a death penalty in Belarus. So half an hour as the flight is descending into Minsk, Roman knows that he is heading back to the capital of the country where he's from, and he could conceivably face the death penalty. So the flight lands in Minsk, and Roman and his girlfriend, uh, Sofia Sapega, are arrested upon arrival. And the plane, which we now know, of course, was full of, of EU citizens, of, of American citizens, so bringing in untold number of countries into this crisis, is held for several hours in the Belarusian capital, Minsk, and is finally allowed to fly on to its original destination, Lithuania. How unprecedented is all of this to, to scramble a fighter jet to bring down a commercial plane only to, you know, eject a political dissident. It seems insane. It was an incredibly audacious move. Um, and one which, frankly, I didn't think the Belarusian president, Alexander Lukashenko, had in him. I mean, to take, you know, a European-flagged plane full of EU citizens flying from one EU country to another, European officials have called it a state hijacking, it is pretty much unprecedented. What is not unprecedented, however, is authoritarian states, you know, reaching their hands out beyond their borders to other countries to kidnap their opponents and their dissidents. That happens with pretty terrifying regularity. I used to live in Tbilisi, Georgia, and a Azeri journalist was kidnapped about two streets from where I lived and just thrown in the back of a van and driven across the border to Azerbaijan, where he was thrown in prison. There is an incredible Freedom House report earlier this year, which looked at this issue of, of transnational repression, and they found over 600 cases where authoritarian governments had been able to reach into other countries and, and cause some kind of physical harm to journalists, to opponents, to government critics in other countries. We're talking 
kidnappings, assassinations, this kind of thing happens with terrifying regularity. But the reason that it has gotten so much attention is, of course, the incredible audacity of doing it in the European Union. European leaders have agreed to sanction Belarus in response to its forced diversion of a Ryanair flight and the arrest of a dissident journalist. Now, reacting to what they... So very quickly, we saw statements from European leaders of outrage, you know, as I said, describing this as as a hijacking, as air piracy. And the pressure, I think, is really on Europe and the West at large to kind of make an example of this incident, you know, because if they don't, this is a terrifying precedent which may start to look like an appealing option to other authoritarian leaders around the world. And so on Monday evening, the European Union met and they agreed uh, to impose new sanctions, further sanctions on Belarus, economic sanctions. Economic sanctions and travel restrictions will be imposed on a number of individuals linked to the plane's diversion. And a €3 billion Euro EU investment package for Belarus will remain on hold. Now, according to and the EU... a lot of airlines actually voluntarily said, we're not dealing with this, we're not going to fly over Belarusian airspace. And very quickly following that, the European Union and, and the UK both called for airliners in the region to not fly over Belarus. And that's pretty incredible. That puts Belarus in a family with hostile nations and countries that are at war. So that's incredible to have that on the borders of, of the European Union and on, on the borders of NATO to have that kind of precedent. Why did Lukashenko want to arrest this journalist, Roman? So he um, was the co-founder of um, one of the most famous telegram channels um, in Belarus, which is called Nechta, which means like somebody. And during the protests last August, um, what was incredible about the protests in Belarus last August was there was no one clear leader. You know, normally you see opposition figureheads, which are kind of calling the shots or coordinating protests. Or, you know, like in the case of Ukraine, there was this central square where everyone rallied. In Belarus, it was completely diffuse. It was just hundreds of thousands of people who decided they had had enough of what is widely regarded as a corrupt and rigged presidential election. And everyone just poured out onto the streets. Um, and so Nechta was able to take that outrage, take that very organic outrage, and kind of channel it into protests. That was met with a very quick violent crackdown. But people kept coming out day after day after day, week after week. There were several weeks of just huge, huge protests. And I think this tells you how afraid Lukashenko is. This is not a sign of strength. I see this as a, as a show of weakness that, you know, young people running telegram channels have the capacity to coordinate mass unrest, which posed the biggest threat that his regime has seen in his 27 years of rule. He's afraid of them. Um, he wants to silence them and he wants to shut them down. So this is testament to how nervous he is, how insecure he feels, but also to the incredible um, power that these very brave journalists have. And what do we know of what happened to this journalist, Roman, and his girlfriend? So on Monday, a video emerges of Roman on Telegram channels, which are known to be friendly to the Belarusian government. Um, and a lot of people have likened it to the forced confessions that you saw in the Soviet Union. So highly scripted, Roman is essentially reading a statement. And confessing to to crimes of trying to uh, quote unquote crimes of of organizing uh, street protests. 
in the video, he appeared to be very shaken. There was a, a, a mark visible on his forehead. And certainly his family, his colleagues, I mean, anybody who knows what the Belarusian authorities are capable of are very worried that he's going to be tortured if he hasn't been already. Do we know what happens to him now? Officially, it depends on what he's charged with. If he is charged with inciting protests and unrest, that carries a 15-year prison sentence, which is insane for you know, protests, which in all democracies is a right and a civil liberty. The two scarier scenarios I think that the, the most people are afraid of is that he is convicted of terrorism, which carries the death penalty in Belarus, or that he dies in prison. And there is unfortunately plenty of precedent for that. Last week, an opposition protester who was serving a five-year sentence for going to protest died in prison, ostensibly of a heart condition, but his wife has told the media he had no previously known heart conditions. So it's once somebody dies in the hands of the Belarusian authorities, it's very, very murky what happens to them. And so there are very, very real and unfortunately founded concerns that, that, that Roman might die. Belarus is, is fast becoming a North Korea on the borders of the European Union. It is closing further and further in on itself. It didn't have the best ties with Europe to begin with. I think now all of those bridges are burned. And the other interesting dynamic is that the more alienated Lukashenko makes Belarus become from Europe and from the West, the more he leans into Russia. And so this whole episode now gives Russia significantly more leverage, again, over a country on the borders of Europe and NATO. Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. Your body is your own. That's why Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Today, lawmakers who oppose abortion are challenging Planned Parenthood. Affordable, high-quality basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. Planned Parenthood believes that health care is a basic human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies. They also work tirelessly to oppose the onslaught of new policies aimed at interfering with personal decisions best left to patients and their doctors. They won't give up and they won't back down. You can join Planned Parenthood in the fight to help make sure that the next generation can decide their own futures. The organization needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit plannedparenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate, no coding required. 
Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Uh, I'm Franek Vechorka. Um, I'm senior advisor to Svetlana Tikhanovskaya, Belarus Democratic leader. And, and Franek, the last time we spoke to you, you were a journalist living in exile. Where are you right now? I was a journalist and uh, I had to flee because of um, a good friend of mine who was detained and I just had a few hours to pack. I moved to Kyiv, but then in Kyiv I felt that I can do more, that I cannot just watch and report and I have to participate in this. So I wrote the message to Svetlana Tikhanovskaya, uh, our elected president, who was forced to leave Belarus, that I am ready to help. So I took uh, the flight from Kyiv to Vilnius, actually flying over Belarus. And a um, few hours after I landed, I already was on the meeting with prime ministers of uh, Scandinavian countries. So it, it was quite a cool beginning of my political career. The last time we spoke to you, protests had sort of exploded all over Belarus. This was back in August. What's happened since? Oh, I remember. I remember. It was very dramatic. People were protesting every, every single day. And the violence did not stop them. People died. We counted victims. 35,000 detained. 3,000 criminal cases opened. And zero investigation on violence and torture in prison and in police. Hmm. So basically, we found out ourselves in a very new reality. It's a new quality of Belarus society, but it's also new Belarus. Belarus with no freedom, with no democracy, country ruled by, by military guys uh, with, with the supreme leader on the top who, who loses uh, feeling of reality. Are there still protests? There are, there are, but you know, there are no big marches. Remember uh, big protests on Sundays when people were... Um, bringing flags, posters. We, we, we saw how many of us are in this country. Before we were living in our small halls, in our small apartments, and we thought that, oh, I am alone, what, what, what I can do alone? But last fall we realized that we are millions, we are majority of the people of Belarus. But right now people uh, were suppressed. I, I have a friend who, who is sentenced to 15 years in prison, I have four friends who might be uh, sentenced to death penalty. You know, in Belarus, we still have death penalty and they didn't execute anyone, thanks God yet, but uh, they accused in terrorism almost every single blogger in Belarus. What did this hijacking on Sunday represent to you? What does it mean to other Belarusian dissidents living in the European Union and abroad? It means that you can't feel safe anymore, even if you are in the European Union, even if you are in a democratic country, that KGB can reach you everywhere. When I saw on news, I, I understood that it's a special services operation in order to detain uh, our friend. Because I was with Raman, I was chatting with him just a few hours before he got on board. And he said that someone was following him, but in a few hours he will be in Vilnius and he will tell more. I didn't believe him because I was thinking he's paranoid, that KGB is everywhere, blah, blah, blah. But suddenly this happens. It's like in a Hollywood movie. You know, they, they took the fighter jet 
fighter jet forced commercial aircraft to land in Minsk and everything because of Raman. 26 years old guy, the blogger, stopping the, the airplane uh, and coming into international scandal just because Lukashenko wanted to arrest blogger dissident. Do you think this could be the nail in the coffin for Lukashenko? Was this an overreach that he'll now finally have to answer for? I will make sure it's a nail in the coffin. You know, it's, um, you know, I was six years old when he came to power. I spent all my life living under Lukashenko. I didn't see other politicians except Lukashenko and now Svetlana Tsikhanovskaya, who is the leader. And I will do all possible, you know, to end this, this uh, horrible story, this horrible movie, this horrible Netflix show Lukashenko prepared for us. His time is over. He's the man from the past. Uh, my generation and uh, and younger people, they don't want to live under under his rule anymore. So this is the chance for us, but we need international support. We need uh, the strong solidarity from outside. Belarusians want to protest, but peaceful protest. And um, it, it will be possible only if the world will, will stand with us. We were never so close to changes. We were never so close to democracy. You know, and I realized how spoiled uh, Westerners are. <laughs> I realized how tough to get back democracy and how easy to lose freedom. I'm sure that when the story will end, Belarus and people will be mature and they will appreciate and they will value what they have and they will never let dictatorship or any dictator come to power again. As for me, I also was never involved in politics. You know, I used to think as uh, all Belarusians, I can't change anything. And uh, I don't know, accidentally, because regime uh, underestimated me and Belarusian people, they allowed me to participate, like allowed me to participate in these elections. I got huge support of Belarusian people and uh, I won this election, but the election was stolen. And, uh, but people are not giving up. People continue to resist under these difficult circumstances. Uh, they have to be creative uh, in fighting this regime, but they will not stop. <laughs>